there are things that I'm going to miss uh, about being a pastor. I'm going to miss baby dedications. Uh, and I'm going to miss, uh, here at Calvary, I'm going to miss potlucks. Uh, you know, our senior adults have a monthly luncheon that we sometimes go to. And, and they, you know, the fried chicken is like pretty good. But the sides that they prepare and the desserts, that's the best thing. I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss going to the Pearl. The Pearl is one of our grow groups here. And most of the people in the Pearl are Filipino. And they know how to throw a party. I mean, when you go to their fellowships, there's enough food to feed all of McAllen. And uh, there's pancit and there's chicken adobo. And there's, there's cassava dessert that you've never had it. You have to have it. I'm going to miss that. I'm going to try to find maybe a Filipino fellowship somewhere in Dallas where I can get some of that. Um, our home group, we meet on Sunday nights, and every weekend uh, we have something different. I was looking at text earlier this morning, and they're talking about making butternut squash soup. Uh, every Sunday they're doing something, and we get together, and we eat. And, I, and, and I'm thinking about all the fellowships here at Calvary. I said, no wonder I can't lose weight. It's your fault. It's your fault, but I totally enjoy it. And, I, and I, really, I really want you to know that fellowship with food, it's a biblical thing. It really is. It really is. I know it sounds funny, but uh, when, when you look at the, at the early church in the book of Acts, the, the first thing that the book of Acts that Luke records in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as the church is just born, it reads like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then you fast forward to verse 46, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere heart. And some people say, well, it's talking about the Lord's Supper. And some people say, no, it's talking about fellowship and, and eating together. And I, and I wanna say it's both. In the early church, they had a fellowship meal and then they celebrated the Lord's Supper in that context. And so uh, we are talking this series, we're talking about what we believe. And we've been going over basic Christian doctrines, and especially those that are dear to Baptist. And today we're talking about the Lord's Supper. What does the Bible say about the Lord's Supper? What is it that we believe here at Calvary about the Lord's Supper? And so I want to invite you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we find there, as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, because they're doing the Lord's Supper wrong, and he's getting them in trouble for it. And so 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 17, hopefully we can learn from them. I know we can. It's a long text today, so just bear with me, because I think it's important that we read the whole passage. Verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says, In the following directives I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, no doubt there, have been, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, and another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. 
For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27. So then whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. Boy, what a scolding the church in Corinth got. Uh, and we can learn some truths that are important to us about the Lord's Supper. The first one that we draw from this passage is that the Lord's Supper is an invitation to repent of our sins after examination. See, when the Corinthian church gathered for the Lord's Supper, they were doing it wrong. And Paul says, I'm not proud of you. In fact, you're doing more harm than good. Wow. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if someone said of your church, hey, guys, when you get together to have the Lord's Supper, when you get together for worship, you're hurting more than you're helping. That's what Paul is saying to them. What was happening? Well, uh, they were celebrating this fellowship meal that at some point came to be called Love Feast. And so the early church had this, this gathering of food where people would come together and they would celebrate the fact that they were brothers and sisters in Christ, that they had been saved, the kind of things that we've been singing about today. And, and, and it was supposed to be a time of encouragement and of building up. And then in that context, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember why this was possible, what Jesus did for them. Uh, and so in, in, in that day of the early church, remember there were no church buildings like we have today. So the church gathered in homes. And so they went to maybe larger homes where they could have these meals and, and people would go. Those people who had uh, more money, who had more uh, say-so on, on their work schedule and would have good food and good wine and, and all this stuff, they would, they would get to the house and, and, uh, and, and they would maybe occupy a table with their friends and say, hey, come over here, look what we made. And somebody says, Lord, look what we, you gotta have some of this. This is really expensive prime rib uh, or, or whatever it was that they were eating. And they would get together to eat. And while they were eating, there were people, there were church members who were still at work because there were laborers in the field. They, they couldn't stop working until the sun would set or some of them were slaves still and they couldn't go home until their master said they could go home. And so by the time they would get out, they were tired after working all day and they would go with eager hearts to be with the church and to celebrate this fellowship meal. They would get there and all the food was gone. And some of these people were already drunk. 
And they were hungry. They'd been working all day long and they thought they would get to church and share this meal and they would be hungry. So you had hungry people and you had drunk people at church. I don't think they were using Welch's grape juice for communion. You can't get drunk of that. Uh, and so here they were having this kind of disregard for one another. It was exactly the opposite of what a fellowship meal was supposed to be about, about communion, uh, what, what it meant, and, and what it ought to reinforce. They were being selfish. They were being cliquish. The, the rich were hanging out with the rich, and, and these people were hanging out with their friends. It was supposed to be a common meal, and yet there were these cliques of people, he, he calls them divisions among you. And we've said that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. That all of us come to Jesus by grace. And if the table of the Lord is supposed to celebrate what Jesus did at the cross, then there ought to be no discrimination at the table. There ought to be no divisions, no no preferential treatment, no, no cliques. We, we should come to the Lord's table and every seat should be accessible to every believer. And so that's what Paul is reprimanding them about, about the kind of disregard they had for one another. And he tells them, you need to repent of your selfishness. You need to repent of your disregard for all that the Lord's Supper means. The Lord's Supper is about bringing us together, not dividing us. And it's an invitation to repent about any offense against your brothers or sisters in Christ. And then he goes on at the end of the chapter to talk about how we should examine our hearts to see if there's any, anything wrong before we eat the Lord's Supper so that we don't eat in judgment on ourselves. Um, some people ask if, if Baptists practice confession. We do. We don't make you go to a confessional, but you need to confess. You need to examine your heart. And if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so we examine our hearts. Someone has said that the way that we come and conduct ourselves at the Lord's Supper shows whether we confess Christ or crucify him. That's what Paul is saying. You either come to the cross, you either come to the Lord's Supper with, with a confessing heart that, that is seeking forgiveness or, or you come with the guilt of what the Lord's Supper is symbolizing. And, and Jesus made it clear that when it comes to worship, when it comes to worship, that our relationship with other people is very important. He said in Matthew chapter five, verse 23, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and then remember your brother or sister had something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come offer your gift. Now, Jesus is talking in the context of, of the Jewish temple worshiping. He says, if you show up to the temple and you're bringing your offering, you're bringing your sacrifice, and as you're getting there, you remember that someone has something against you, that something is not right with your brother or sister, leave your gift there, leave worship, Leave the service, go home, and reconcile, and then come and worship me. It matters to God when we come and worship him. It matters whether we reconcile with others, whether we've offended somebody that we need to ask forgiveness, or somebody has offended us, and we need to forgive 
them. Even though worship is vertical, we worship God, he expects our relationships that are horizontal to be right as well. Every time that we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is an opportunity to examine ourselves, to make things right with others, and to make things right with God. The Lord's Supper is for believers only. Only those who have come to the place in their lives that realize that, that they're sinners and that Jesus did everything that was necessary at the cross to forgive them and they have asked for him to be Savior and Lord can come to the Lord's table. It has no meaning for someone who hasn't experienced salvation. But not only do we repent initially for salvation, but we ought to repent regularly, frequently, because we sin often and we need forgiveness. Secondly, the Lord's Supper is an invitation to remember Jesus' work on the cross. During the pandemic, uh, when we were not meeting here at the building, uh, 2020, Easter was coming, and we usually have a communion service the Wednesday right before Easter. We call it Holy uh, Week Communion. And that week, we could not do it because we were meeting here. So what my wife and I did is we, we had someone film us at our home having a Jewish Seder meal, the Passover meal. And we had sent our church members instructions and ingredients for them to be able to do that at home as they watched the video they could follow that celebration. And then we said, take pictures of your family and post them on social media, here's the hashtag. And so that week when we were not able to meet here, uh, we had a really good time celebrating the Passover meal as families. And then I saw the pictures and it was really cool to see different families, extended families celebrating that. And that was important because when we celebrate Easter between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, we gotta remember that what happens in between is the Passover. That it is not an accident, it's not a coincidence that Jesus died on Passover. And so when we understand the Passover celebration, then we can understand a little bit more about salvation. You know that when uh, Jewish families sit down to celebrate the Seder, to celebrate Passover, that kids ask questions. They're supposed to ask questions. So you have a kid that says, why on this night do we eat matzah or unleavened bread? And why on this night do we eat marot or bitter herbs? Why on this night do we dip twice? And so every time they ask a question, then an adult will answer the question. And they do that every year. You know why they do that? Because they want every generation to remember. To remember the deliverance of the Hebrews from Egyptian slavery. They want every generation to remember what God did for his people. You know that when the Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt, that they cried out to God and God heard them. And he came and he delivered them. He sent 10 plagues to show Pharaoh that the God of the Hebrews is bigger than Pharaoh himself. When the 10th plague came and the angel of death was going about all of Egypt, killing the firstborn of every family, Moses instructed the Hebrew families to take a little lamb and to kill the little lamb and to take the blood of the lamb and sprinkle it on the doorpost of their front door and then to roast the lamb and eat it together as a family with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, to eat it in a hurry as if they were ready to leave. 
because exactly that's what happened. So that night when the angel of death was going around Egypt and he would come to a house that had the blood sprinkled on the doorpost, he would pass over that home and they would be spared. Not only were they spared of the judgment of the angel of death, but Pharaoh finally let God's people go. And as they went out, as they were delivered with a strong arm, as, as they were delivered from their oppression and their slavery, as they were walking to the promised land, God tells them, I want you to celebrate this meal every year. Every year I want you to get together and eat roasted lamb and eat bitter herbs and, 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 and take of, of the unleavened bread because I want you to remember that I delivered you. I want you to remember how much I love you. I want you to remember what kind of power is mine. I want you to remember how special of a people you are to me. You are a redeemed people. And it was in that context that Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his friends. He was eating of unleavened bread and drinking of the cup and of the bitter herbs. And in that context, he institutes what we call the Lord's Supper. It is in the context of remembering God's deliverance from Egypt. But now the focus is on God's deliverance from sin for everybody, not just for the Jews. It is in the context of announcing that now Jesus is our Passover lamb, that he is the one who redeems us, that he is the one who delivers us, that he is the one who establishes a new covenant with his people. Paul tells the Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. Paul is saying, I'm passing on to you a tradition that comes straight from Jesus. The, the Jews have several feasts that are very beautiful and very meaningful. But Jesus gives us only two simple ceremonies that we should observe regularly. Baptism, it announces our redemption and the Lord's Supper. We call them ordinances because Jesus commanded that we celebrate them, that we observe them. The Lord's Supper is an invitation to remember what Jesus did for us. He called us out of the darkness. He called us out of the grave. And now we are alive and we live for him. When Jesus takes the bread in that occasion, he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we eat the bread, we're remembering that he offered himself for us, that he gave himself for us, that, that he poured his life for us. We remember his sacrifice, his deliverance, his redemption. In the same way, Jesus takes the cup that night and he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Every time we drink of the cup, we remember that he's established a new covenant with us. Covenants are sealed with blood. The old covenant pointed to the need of a new covenant. The old covenant was there to remind us that we cannot be right with God on our own strength, that we cannot obey God to perfection. And so the new covenant brings in somebody who obeyed God to perfection, who lived a sinless life, and then poured out his life in his blood at the cross to give us the power to relate to God in the way that he deserves to be worshiped and served. The prophet Jeremiah foretold 
of the need for a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Jeremiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, says, one day God is going to establish a new covenant. The old covenant was good, and God kept his part. He was like a faithful husband to his people, but the people broke the covenant. And so God's going to give us a new covenant, but the new covenant is not going to depend on our observance of the law. It's going to depend on our dependence on Jesus because he kept the law. And because he gives us his blood, which we already sang about today. When we drink the cup, we remember that we have a new covenant. We do this, Jesus says, in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me, that's very important. Jesus is saying what you do at the Lord's table is to remember me. It's a symbol. It's not the reality. The bread and the cup are not the reality. They are a symbol that point to the reality. Same thing with baptism. The baptismal waters don't save you. They don't cleanse you. But they point to the salvation and the cleansing that God does in your life when you trust him. That's important. There are some traditions that say that uh, at communion, the bread literally becomes the body of Christ and the cup literally becomes the blood of Christ. That doctrine is called transubstantiation. They say it's a miracle that happens at communion. And part of that understanding is, is they are thinking that every time they celebrate communion, they're sacrificing Jesus again. But but I want you to look at what Hebrews 9.24 says. It says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way that the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Listen, we don't need to sacrifice Jesus over and over again. He sacrificed himself once. And he said, it is finished. One time was enough. And so when we look, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're simply remembering what already has taken place. We believe that Christ is present, not in the elements. Christ is present in our hearts. Christ is present in our gathering. And so the presence of Christ is important, but we must remember that it's a spiritual presence that we're talking about. And then third and last, the Lord's Supper is an invitation to renew our commitment until he returns. Paul reminds the Corinthians that Jesus said, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord here reminds us uh, that when we observe the Lord's Supper, we're looking back at his sacrifice, but we're looking forward at his second coming. I don't know about you, but everything that's going on in Israel and the Middle East, I, I really, 
I really hope Jesus comes soon. And, and we look forward to that day because he will make everything right. The people that are in power today can't make things right. We pray for them to try, but the only one that will make things right forever is Jesus. And we're expecting his return. We live between the sacrifice of the cross and the expectation of his return in glory and power. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are renewing our commitment to him. We know where we live. We live in this tension. He died for us. We look back at that Passover night, the Last Supper, and we look forward at that wedding feast of the Lamb, that table where we'll sit and our cup will overflow and we'll celebrate together. That's coming. This is just a little rehearsal for that day. And in the meantime, we, we renew our commitment I've been facilitating a premarital class on Wednesday nights and I have five couples that are participating. And this last Wednesday, we went over the marriage vows and we, we had the couples read them and talk to each other about them. Because it's important that not just on the wedding day do they repeat them, but that they really mean them. They really understand what, what they're about. And not only that they say them on their wedding day, but that every day they renew that commitment. When we come to the Lord's Supper, every time we come to the Lord's Supper, we're renewing our commitment. You only need to be saved once. You don't need to receive Jesus every time. You receive Jesus one time. But every time you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're renewing your commitment to Jesus, who you've already received. There's a Bible commentator that suggested that the Lord's Supper is a five-dimensional perspective of redemption. And I want to share that with you. He says the first thing is that it's an inward look. We look inside to see if we are right with our brothers and sisters. If we are right with God, we confess our sin so that he can forgive us. It's an outward look so that, so that we can make sure that we're in good fellowship with others, that we're treating people right. The way we treat our husband, our wife, our children, our brothers and sisters in Christ is important. We look at that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's also an upward look. We look up at, at the one who saved us, at the one whose presence is, is, is the one that we seek, that we delight in. Fourth is a backward look. We look back at the cross. It is a cross that reminds us of our redemption, of our deliverance from oppression, from slavery, from darkness. And then fifth and last is a forward look. We look forward to the day when Jesus will reign forever on his return. I pray that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, that you will do it in a worthy manner. That we would be different from the believers in Corinth before this letter. I pray that it will be rich with meaning for you and that God's presence will invade you and transform you every time. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you, Father, for your sacrifice, the perfect redemption work of Jesus at the cross. And I want to thank you for, for calling us and inviting us to trust you, to believe in you, to make you our Savior and Lord. And today I want to pray, Father, for, for those that are here who may still not know you as Savior and Lord. I pray... Father, that you would bring conviction 
so that people can come to faith and trust you, confess their sins even now. Father, I pray if there's someone here who, who has offended someone or has been offended, that you work in them to work for reconciliation. Father, I pray for us to be right with you and to be right with one another. And we cannot, we cannot end our prayer without praying for Israel and Palestine. The Middle East, where there is violence and hatred, where there needs to be reconciliation and forgiveness and justice and peace. Father, examine our hearts even now. Allow us to confess our sins before you at this moment. Allow us to prepare to be in your presence again. In Jesus' name, amen.